Hey everyone, welcome to the Latent Space Podcast. This is Alessio, partner and CTO and residence at Decibel Partners. I'm joined by my co-host Swix, writer and editor of Latent Space. Today we have our special guest, Itamar Friedman, all the way from Tel Aviv, CEO and co-founder of Kodium AI. Welcome. Hey, great being here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, do you like the studio? It's, it's nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce your background a little bit, and then we'll learn a bit more about who you are. So you graduated from Technion, Israel Institute of Technology. It's kind of like the MIT right. of, of Israel. <laughs> you did a BS in CS, and then you also did a master's in computer vision, which is kind of relevant. You had other startups before this, but your sort of claim to fame is Visual Lead which you started in 2011 and got acquired by Alibaba Group. And visually, I actually went to your website. Not really. You, well, you showed me your website, <laughs> which is the sort of QR codes with different forms of visibility. And in China, that's a huge, huge deal. It's starting to become a bigger deal in the West, but the way that you sort of deal with computer vision nuances. And I think that my favorite anecdote that you told me was something about how much sales you, you yeah. saved or something. What, what, I forget what the number was. Generally speaking, like there's a lot of peer-to-peer transactions going on, like payments and in China with QR codes. So basically, if for example, five percent of the scanning does not work, and with our scanner we reduce it to four percent, that's a lot of money. Could be tens of thousands, millions of dollars a day. So, sorry, ten, of tens Alibaba. of millions. Sorry, tens of millions per yeah. day. Yeah, and at the scale of Alibaba, like yeah, yeah. It's, it serves all of China. It's crazy. You did that for seven years, and you just in Alibaba for until twenty twenty one when you took some time off, and then hooked up with Daddy, who you've known for twenty five years. Yeah, that's true. As business partners to start Codium AI, and you just raised your eleven million dollars seed rounds with TLB Partners and Vine. Congrats! Thank you. <laughs> okay, shall we go right into Codium? Yeah, sure. What is Codium? Okay, so we are an AI coding <laughs> assistant slash agent to help developers reaching zero bugs. We don't do that today. Right now, we help to reduce the amount of bugs. Actually, you can see people commenting on our marketplace page saying that they found bugs with our tool, and that's like our, our premise. So, but our vision is like, let's say, like for Tesla, zero emission or something like that. So, for us, it's zero bugs. That's our focus. And we started with building an ID extension, either in the VS Code or in the JetBrains, and that actually works alongside to the main panel where you write your code. And I can show later what we do is analyze the code, whether you started writing it or you completed it. Like you can go both TDD or classical coding, and we offer analysis tests, whether they pass or not. We further self-debug them and make suggestions, eventually helping like improving the, the code quality, specifically on code logic testing. How did you get there? You know, obviously... Yeah. It's a great idea. Like, what was the idea maze, maybe? How okay. did you get here? I'll go back long. So yes. I was uh, two and a half times a CTO, VC-backed startup CTO. We talked about the last ones that I sold to Alibaba. But basically, I'm like, it's weird to say, but 20 years already of R&D manager. I'm not like the best programmer because, like you mentioned, I'm coming more from the machine learning. Like computer vision was one of the main applications, but a lot of optimization. So we're not necessarily the best coders, but I am like 20 year R&D manager. And I found that verifying code logic is very hard thing. And one of the things that really makes it difficult to increase with the development velocity related to development velocity. So you have tools related for checking performance. You have tools for vulnerabilities. 
yeah, security, Israelis are really good in that. But do you have a tool that actually helps you test code logic? I think we have like dozens or hundreds, even thousands to help you on the end to end to end, maybe on the microservice integration system. But when you talk about code level, there isn't anything. So that was the pain I always had, especially when I did have tools for that for the hardware. Like I worked in Malinox to be sold to, to NVIDIA as a, as a student and we had like formal tools, et cetera. But let, let's not get to that. So that's one part. The second thing is that after being sold to Alibaba, the team and I and, and in Israel were quite a big team that worked on machine learning, large language model, et cetera, building developer tools relate with, with LLMs throughout the golden years of 2017 to 2021, 2022. And we saw how powerful they became. So basically, if I frame it this way, because we develop it for so many use cases, we saw that if you're able to take a problem, put a framework of a language around it, whether it's analyzed browsing behavior or DNA or et cetera, if you can put a framework of a language, then LLMs take you really far. And then like I thought this problem that I have with code logic testing is basically a combination of a few languages, natural language, specification language, technical language even visual language to some extent, but all of them you can, and then like quit Alibaba. And uh, yeah, it took a bit of time to maybe wrap things around and rest a bit after 20 years of, of startup and corporate and, and joined with my partner, Daddy Credo, who was my ever first employee. And that's how we like came to the idea. I mean, the idea has obviously been around and most people have done AST analysis, kind of like a yeah. abstract syntax tree, but it's kind of hard to get there, you know, with yeah. just that. But I think these models now are getting good enough where you can mix that and also like traditional logical reasoning. Exactly. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit more about the technical implementation of it. You mentioned the agent part, you mentioned some of the model part, like what happens behind the scenes when Codium gets in your code base? First of all, I want to mention, I think you're you're really accurate. It's like, sorry if I, if I can please mention no, that. Yeah. Like in a sense that if, if you try to take like a large language model as is, and try to ask it, can you like analyze, test a code, et cetera? It will not work so good. Like by itself, it's it's not good enough. On the other side, like all the traditional techniques we already started to invent since the Greek times, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, logical stuff, et cetera. They, like you mentioned ASTs, but there's also dynamic code analysis. Mm-hmm. And for example, mutation testing, it's more on the testing side, but testing is for verifying code logic, right? So how strong it is. So, so there's a lot of uh, techniques out there, but they have like inefficiencies. And a lot of those inefficiencies ca- ca- are actually matching with AI capabilities. Let me give you one example, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's say you want to do fuzzy testing or mutation mm-hmm. testing. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's like, let's let's focus on mutation testing. I'll explain it, Mutation, right? It's like a good idea to explain it for... Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yes. So mutation testing means that you either mutate the test, like it could be the input of the test, it could be the code of the test, or you mutate the code like change things in the code in order to check how good is your test suite. For example, if I mutate some equation in the in my code, not the test code, the application code, and the test finds a bug and it does that in really high, like out of 100 mutation, I find all of the 100 problems and the test is probably a very strong test mm-hmm. suite. Okay, like that's an example. Now, the problem is that there's so many options what to mutate in the data, in the test. And this is where, for example, AI could help, like helping you, like pointing out where is the best thing that you can mutate. Actually, I think it's a very good use case. Why? Because even if AI is not 
100% accurate, it could still, like, let's say we, we need to define what accuracy in this field mm-hmm. mean, but just roughly speaking, even if it's 80% accurate, it could really take you quite far rather just randomly selecting things. So if I wrap up, like, just go back high level, I think like LLM by themselves cannot really do the job of verifying code logic and, and neither like the traditional ones. So you need to merge them. But then one more thing before maybe you tell me where to double click. I think like with code logic, there's also a philosophy question here. Mm-hmm. Like logic is as opposed to performance or quality. Like if I did a three, four, and three, four in, in the loop, like I loop three things and I can fold them with some vector like in Python or something like that. We need to get into the mind of the developer. What was the intention? I can have like, what is bad code? Like not, what is a code logic that doesn't work? It's it's not according to the specification. So I think like one more thing that AI could really help is help to match. Like if there is some natural language description of the code, we can match it. Or if there's missing information in natural language that needs to be asked for, the AI could help asking the user. It's not like a closed solution, rather open and leaving the developer as the lead. Just like moving the developer from from being the coder to actually being like a, a pilot that, that clicks button and says, ah, this is what I meant, or this is the fix, rather actually writing all the code. Yeah. Let me know where to double click. That makes sense. I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but like the switch from syntax to like semantics, you know, like developers used to be focused on like the syntax and not the meaning of what yeah. they're writing, you know? So now you have the models that are really good at the syntax and you as a human are supposed to be really good at the semantic of what you're trying to build. So that's awesome. How does it practically work? So I'm a software developer. I want to use Codium. Like how do I start? And then like, how do you make that happen in the, in the background? So like I said, Codium AI is right now is an IDA extension. For example, I'm showing VS Code. And if you just install it, like you'll have a few access points to start coding AI, rather this sidebar or above every component or class that we think is very good to check with coding AI, you'll have this small button. There's other way you can mark a specific code and right click and, and run Codium. But this one is my favorite because we actually choose above which components we suggest to, to use Codium. So once I click it, Codium AI starts analyzing this class, but not only this class, but almost everything that is being used by the call center class, but all, and what's call center is, is calling. And so we do like a, a static code analysis, et cetera, what, what we talked about. And then Coding AI provides with code analysis. It's right now static, like you can't change it, can't edit it, and maybe later we'll talk about it. This is what we call the specification, and we're going to make it, or maybe I'll announce it a bit later, we're going to make it editable so you can add additional behaviors, change things, and, and then create accordingly tests that will not pass. And then the code will, will change accordingly. So that's one entrance point, like via natural language description. That's one of the things that we're, we're working on. Right now, what I'm showing you, by the way, could be downloaded as is. It's like what, what we have in production. The second thing that we show here is like a full test suite. There are six tests by default, and but you can just generate more, almost as much as much as you want. Every time we'll try to cover something else, like a happy path, edge case, etc. Uh-huh. You can talk with specific tests, okay? Like you can suggest, I want this in Spanish, or give me <laughs> a few languages, or I want much more employee. I didn't go over what's a call center, but basically it manages like call center, so you can imagine. I can ask for make it more rigorous, etc. But I don't want to complicate. I want to make it short so it fits the screen. So I'm keeping it as is. By the way there's quite a few, a few features here but 
let's uh, go, well, I want to show you the next one, which is run all tests. First, we, we verify that you're okay, we're going to run it. I don't know, maybe we're connected to the environment that is currently configured in the IDE. I mm-hmm. don't know if it's production for some reason or no, I don't know what, then we're making sure that you're aware we're going to run the code. And then uh, once we run it, we show if it passed or fail. Yes, I hope that we'll have one fail, but I'm not sure it's that interesting. So I'll go like to another example soon, but, but just to show you what's going on here that we actually give an example of what's a problem. Sorry, we give the log of the error and then you can do whatever you want. You can fix it by yourself or you can click reflect and fix. Okay. And what's going on right now is a bit of a longer process where we do like chain of thought, reflect and, and fix, and we can suggest a solution. You can run it. And in this case, it passes. Just an example. This is a very simple example. Maybe later I'll show you a bug. I think I'll do that and show you a bug and how we recognize actually the test it's not a problem in the test. It's a problem in the code. Mm. And then suggest you fix that instead of the code. Mm. I think you see where I'm getting mm-hmm. at. Yes. Okay. The other thing is that there are a few code suggestions and there could be a dozen of, of types. Like could be related to performance, modularity, or I see in this case there is a maintainability. There could also be vulnerability or best practices or even suggestion for bugs. Like if we noticed, if we think one of the tests, for example, is failing because of a bug, so just the code present that in the code suggestion, probably. You can choose a few, for example, if you like, and then prepare a code change. Like I didn't show you which exactly. We're making a diff now, like that you can apply on your code. So basically what, what we're seeing here is that there are three main tabs, the code, the test, and the code analysis, let's call, call it spec. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is a fourth tab, which is a code suggestion, like, like if you want to look like analytics, et cetera, mm-hmm. right now code. Okay, so this is like the change, quite a big change. I probably clicked on something. So that's like the basic demo. I'll go really quickly on additional feature, but I just want to show you the, it's not like so comprehensive, it's, it's simple, but they're like important features. So I won't show everything, yes, but I want to give you we like, want all the details. Okay, so for example, right now, let's be frank, like I, I wanted to show like a simple example. So it's a call center. All the inputs to the class are like relatively simple. There is no JSON input. Like, and usually if you're, I don't know, Expedia or whatever, you have a JSON with the hotels, Airbnb, you know, so the test will be almost like too simple or not covering enough your code if you don't provide it with some input is valuable, like a JSON with all the information or YAML or whatever. So you can actually add input data and the AI or model, it's actually, by the way, a set of models and algorithms that will use that input to create interesting tests. And another thing is like many people have some reference tests that they already made. It could be because they already made it or because they want like a very specific, they have like how they imagine the test. So they just write one and then you add as a reference and that will inspire all the rest of the tests. And also you can give like hints this is, by the way, planned to be like dynamic hints, like for different type of code, we will provide different hints. So we can help you come a bit more knowledgeable about how to test your code. So you can ask for like having a, a given <laughs> one then, or you can have like add a funny pirate like doc string, make different joke for each test. Or for I'm example, curious, why, why did you choose that one? The, this the is pirate a, one? Yeah, interesting choice. To put oh my in God, it could be like 11 p.m. Uh, people <laughs> sitting around. Let's choose one funny thing. and Yeah, so two know. serious ones and one funny one. Yeah. Uh, just for the listening audience, can you read out the other hints that you decided on as well? Yeah, so specifically, like for this case, relatively very simple class. So there's not much to do, but I'm going to go to one more thing here on the configuration. Okay. But it basically is given when then style. It's one of the best practices in tests. So 
Actually, even Given when X, yeah, when Y, yeah, then for, do. even when I report a bug, for example. I found a bug in someone else's code. Usually I want to say, like, given use this environment or use that this way, when I run this function, et cetera, oh, then... It's a very, um, very full report. Uh, yeah. yeah, then this is what happens. Yeah. And you, it's very common to use that in, like, in unit tests. And I have never been shown this format. I love that you, you mentioned that because if you go to CS... Undergrad. Undergrad. So usually, like, I don't think you, you like so many courses in, in, in development, but none of them probably in testing. Yeah. And it's so important. So why would you, and you don't go to Udemy or whatever and, and do no. a testing course, right? Like it's, it's boring. Like people either don't do component level testing because they hate it or they do it and they hate it. And I think part of it is because they're missing tool to make it fun. And, and also like usually you don't get yourself educated about it because you want to write your code. And part of what we're trying to do here is help people get smarter about testing and make it like easy. So this is like very common. And the idea here is that for different type of code, we'll suggest different type of hints to make you more, more knowledgeable. We're doing it on an education app, but we want to help developers become smarter, knowledge, more knowledgeable about this, this field. And another one is moking. Yeah. So right now, the the our model, like our, our system, decided that there's no need for moking here, which is a good decision. But if we would go to real world case, like by the way, I'm part of the AutoGPT community. And there's a lot of tooling going on there, right? And maybe when I want to test like a specific component, and it's relatively clear that going to the web and doing some search and coming back one of the tools, I don't really need to do that. Like I, I know what I expect to do, and so I can moke that part of using the crawl the web or or whatever. So a certain percentage of accuracy, like around 90, we will decide this is worth smoking and we will inject it. I can click about it now and force our system to moke this, but you will see like a bit stupid moking because it really doesn't make sense. So I chose this pirate stuff, like add funny pirate-like doc string, make a different joke for each test, and I forced it to, to add mokes. When I regenerated, all the tests were deleted and now we're creating new new six tests and you see here's the shiver me timbers the test checks the call <laughs> successful probably there is a like there is some joke at the end so in this case like even if you try to force it to moke it didn't happen because there's nothing but we might find here like stuff that it moked that really doesn't make sense because there's nothing to moke here so that's one thing i i can show a demo where we actually catch a bug and and i really love that to see that developers are, are saying like we you know how it is you're building a developer tools the best thing you can see like developers that you don't know giving you five stars and yes. and, and, and sharing with you stuff we have a discord with thousands of, of users but but i don't know i love to see the, the individual reports yeah the, the most and for example this was one of my favorites one like it helped me to find two two bugs because eventually because i mentioned our vision is to reach zero bugs like if you may say, we want to clean the internet from bugs. <laughs> so <laughs> Debugging the internet. I have my podcast title. <laughs> so, so I think like if we move to another example. Yes, yes, okay. please, please. This is great. Okay, so I'm moving to a different example because it's the bank account. Yeah, of course. If, by the way, if you go to ChatGPT and, and you can ask me, what's the difference between Codium AI and using ChatGPT? Mm. I'm, I'm like giving you this hard question later. Yeah. So if you ask ChatGPT, give me an example to test the code, it might give you this bank account. It's like the one-on-one stuff, right? And one of the reasons I gave it because it's easy to inject bugs here that's easy to understand. Anyway, and what I'm going to do right now is like this bank account, I'm going to change the deposit from plus to minus as an example. And then I'm going to run Codium similarly to how I did before. Like it suggests to do that for the entire class. And then there is the code analysis soon. And then there is the test. 
that I can run. And the question is that if we're going to catch the, bag, the bugs using running the tests, because who knows, maybe this implementation is the right one. Right. Uh, like you need to, to converse with the developer. Maybe in this weird bank, bank you deposit and, and <laughs> the bank takes money uh -huh. from you. And we could talk about how this happens. But actually, you can see already here <laughs> that we're already suggesting, like it's a hint that we're already suggesting something is wrong here. And here is a suggestion to put it from minus to, to plus. So believe me, just to like, so we can move forward. If I try to run this test, and some of them will fail, yeah. and we'll try to reflect and, and fix. And then we will see actually the model telling you, hey, maybe this is not a bug in the test, maybe it's in, in the code. So that, that's it about the demo. Let me know if to double click somewhere or to move to the our vision a bit. Like, yeah, I want to stay on this a little bit. First of all, this is very impressive and I think it's very valuable. What user numbers can you disclose that, that you know, you launched it and then it's, it's yeah, got sure. fairly organic growth. You told me something off the air, but you know, I just wanted to, to show people like this is being adopted in, in quite a large amount. Okay, so first of all, I'm a relatively transparent person, right. like even as a manager. I think I was like on this specific uh, point in Alibaba, I was like well, top one percentile of being transparent. <laughs> it wasn't five out of five, which is a good thing because that's extreme, but it was a good, but it also could be a bad, some people would claim it's a bad thing. Like for example, if, if my CTO in Alibaba would tell me you did really bad and I might cut your entire budget by 30% if in half a year, you're not going to do like much better and this and that. So I come back to the team and tell them what's going on without like trying to smooth things out. And we need to solve it together. If not, you're not fitting in this team. So that's my point of view. And the same thing, one of the, fa the I think the fun thing that I like about building a developer to a developer, like kind of want that from you to be transparent. So we're in the high numbers of thousands of weekly active users. Now, if you convert from 50,000 to high thousands of weekly active users, it means like a lot of those that actually try us keep using us weekly. I'm not talking about even monthly, like weekly. And that was like one of their best expectations because you don't test your code every day. Right now, you can see it's mostly, our tool is mostly focused on, on testing. So you probably test it like once a week. Like we wanted to make it so smooth with your development methodology and development lifecycle that you lose every day. Like at the moment, we hope it to be used weekly. And that's what we're getting. And the growth is about like every two, three weeks we doubled the amount of weekly and, and downloads. It's still very early, like seven yes. weeks. So I don't know if it will keep that way, but we yeah. hope so. Well, actually, I hope that it will be much more double every two, three weeks. Maybe thanks to the podcast. Well, well, we, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll add, you know, a few thousand, hopefully. The reason I ask this is because I think there's a lot of organic growth that people are sharing it with their friends, right? And also, I think you've also learned a lot from your earliest days in, in yeah. the private beta tests. Like what have you learned since launching about how people want to use these testing tools. One thing I didn't share with you is like, when you say virality, there's like intra-virality and inter-virality, okay. like within the company and outside the company. So which teams are using us, I can't say, but I can tell you that a lot of San Francisco companies are using us. Love it. And one of the things like, I really surprised is one team, I saw one user two weeks ago, I was so happy. And then I came yesterday and I saw 48 of that company. So what I'm trying to say, to be frank, is that we see more intra-virality right mm. now than inter-virality. Mm. I don't see like video being shared all around Twitter, see what's going on here. Yeah. But I do see like people share within the company, you need to use it because it's really helpful with productivity. And it's something that we will work about the inter-virality. But to be frank, first, I want to make sure that it's helpful for developers. So I care more about intra-virality and that we see working really well. 
because that means that tool is useful. So I'm telling to my colleague sharing it on, on Twitter means that I also feel that it will make me cool or make me. And that's something maybe we'll need still need it's like testing. Thing, cool. Yeah. You know, I don't well, know you're working on that. <laughs> you are generating these tests, you know, based on what I saw there. You're generating these tests basically based on the name of the functions and the doc strings, I guess. I think like if you obfuscate <laughs> the, the entire code, like our accuracy will drop by 50%. So it's right. We're using a lot of hints that you see there. Like, for example, the function names, the doc string, the, the variable names, etc. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has a lot of hints. By the way, in some cases, in the code suggestion, we will actually suggest renaming some of the stuff that will sync, that will help us. Like, there's a renaming suggestion. For example, usually in this case, instead of calling this variable is client, in the code suggestion, you will see is preferred client, <laughs> because basically it gives a different commission for that. So we do suggest it because if you accept it, it also means it will be easier for our model, our system to keep improving. Is that a different model? Okay, that brings a bit to the topic of models properties. Yeah. <laughs> I'll share it really quickly because yes, it takes yes, us it's off, relevant. Uh, it, it take us off of might take us off road. I think like different models are better on different properties. For example, how obedient you are to instruction, how good you are to prompt forcing, like to format forcing. I want the results to be in a certain format or how accurate you are, or how good you are in understanding code. There's so many calls happening here to models, by the way. Just by clicking one, hey, I, Cody, may I help me with this bank account? We do a dozen of different calls, and each feature you click could be like, like with the reflect and fix. And then like we choose the, the best one. I'm not talking about like hundreds of models, but we use different APIs of OpenAI, for example, and, and other models, et cetera. So basically, like different models are better on different aspects all the models will benefit from having those hints in, in the code that rather in the code itself or documentation, et cetera. And also in the code analysis, we also consider the code analysis to be the ground truth to some extent. And soon we're also going to allow you to edit it and that will use that as well. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit more about how to actually get all these models to work together. I think there's a lot of people that I've only been exposed to Copilot so far, which is yeah. one use case, right? Just complete what I'm writing. Like you're doing a lot more things here. So a lot of people listening are engineers themselves. Some of them build these tools. So they would love to hear more about how do you orchestrate them? How do you decide which model does what? Stuff like that. So I'll start with the end because that is a very deterministic answer is that we benchmark different models. Like every time this is a new model in, in town, like recently, you know, it's already old news. It's like, yeah, it's already like so old news, like a few no, days no, ago. No, no, no. Maybe you want to fill in other people on StarCoder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think StarCoder is, is a new up and coming model. We immediately test it on different benchmarks and see if, if it's better on some properties, etc. We're going to talk about it like a chain of thoughts in different part in the chain would benefit from different property. If I want to do code analysis and, and convert it to natural language, maybe one model would be, would be better. If I want to output like a result in, in a certain format, maybe another model is better in forcing the, a certain format. You probably saw on Twitter, et cetera, people talk about like, it's hard to ask models to output JSON, et cetera. So basically we predefine for different tasks, we, we use different models. And I think like this is for individuals, for developers to, to check, try to think like, the test that now you're working on, 
what is most important for you to get? You want the semantic understanding that's most important? You want the output? Like, are you asking for a very specific output? It's just like a chat or you're asking to give an output of code and have, or it's like only code, no description, or if there is a description of the doc string and not something else. And then, then we use different models. We are aiming to have our own models in, in 2024. Like, I mean, like being independent of any other third party, like OpenAI or so. But since our product is very challenging, it has UX, UI challenges, engineering challenges, static dynamic models, et cetera, and NAI. As an entrepreneur, you need to choose your battles. And we thought that it's better for us to, to focus on everything around the model. And one day when we are like fitting that we have the, the right UX, UI, engineering, et cetera, we'll focus on model building. This is also, by the way, what we did in, in Alibaba. Even when I had like half a million dollar a month for training one foundational model, I would never start this way. You always try like first using the best model you can for your product and then understanding what's the glass ceiling for that model, then fine tune a foundation model, reach a higher glass ceiling and then training your own. And, and that's what we're aiming. And that's what I suggest other developers. Like don't necessarily take a model and, and say, oh, it's so easy these days to do RLHF, et cetera. I see it like only $600. Yeah, but what are you trying to optimize for? What are the properties? Don't try this, like certain models. First, organize your challenges, organize the, pro like understand the properties you're aiming for and, and start playing with that and only then go to train your own model. Yeah. And when you say benchmark, we did a one hour long episode, some benchmarks, there's like many of them. Are you building some unique evals to like your own problems? How are you doing that? And that's also work for your future model building, obviously, yeah. having good benchmarks. Yeah, that's very interesting. So first of all, with all the respect, I think like we're dealing with ML benchmark for hundreds of years. Now I'm, I'm kidding, but like for tens of years, right? Benchmarking statistical creatures is something that, that we're doing for a long time. I think what's new here is the generative part. Like it's, it's, not, it's like an open challenge to some extent, and that's new. And therefore, like maybe we need to rethink some of the, some of the way we benchmark. And one of the notions that I really believe in, I don't have a proof for that, is like create a benchmark in levels. And uh, let's say you create a benchmark from level one to 10. And it's a property-based benchmark. Let's say I have a WebGPT, it asks something from the internet, and then it should fetch it for me. So challenge level one could be, I'm asking it and it brings me something. <laughs> level number two could be, I'm asking it and it has a certain structure. Let's say, for example, I want to test auto GPT, okay? And I'm asking it to summarize what's the best cocktail I could have for, for this season in San Francisco. So I would expect, like, for example, for that model to go search the internet and do a certain thing. So level number three could be that I want to check that as part of this request, it uses a certain tools. Level five, you can add to that. I expect that it will bring me back something like relevant. Some level nine, it actually prints the cocktail for me and, and, and I'm tasted and it's good. So, so I think like how I see it is that we need to have data sets similar to before and make sure that we're not fine-tuning the model the way the same way we test it. So we have one challenges that we fine-tune over, right? And a few challenges that we don't. And the new concept maybe is having those level which are property-based, which is something that we know from software testing and less for ML. And this is where I think that these two concepts emerge. Maybe Codium can do ML testing in the future as well. 
Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, I wanted to cover a little bit more about Codium in the present, and then we'll go into the slides that you have. So you have some UI UX stuff, and you've you've obviously VS Code is the majority market share at this point of IDEs, right. but you also have the IntelliJ, right? And JetBrains in general, in general, I Intel, yeah, like yeah. Anything that you learned supporting JetBrains stuff, I, you you were very passionate about this one user who left you a negative review. Yeah, what is the challenge of of that? Like, how do you think about the market? You know, maybe you should focus on VS Code since it's so popular. What's going yeah. on? So currently. For the worse and better, like the VS Code extension is, is leading over a, a JetBrains. And we were for a long time and, and like one entire long time, it could be like two or three weeks with version 0.5.x something in, in VS Code, although 0.4 or so a JetBrains, we really saw the differences in, in the um, how people react. So we also knew that 0.5 is much more meaningful. And one of the users that left, the developers left three stars on, on JetBrains. <laughs> and I really remember that. Like, I, I love that. Like, it's what do you want to get at, at, at our stage? What's wrong? Like, yes. If you want that indication, you know, the worst thing is getting nothing. I'm actually not sure if it's not better to get even the bad indication, yep. only getting good ones, to be frank, like at, at, at least in our stage. So we're, we're nine, ten, 10 months old startup. So I think like, generally speaking, we find it easier and fun to develop in VS Code extension versus JetBrains, although JetBrains has like very nice property. When you develop extension for one of the IDs, it usually works well for all the others. Develop like it's one extension for PyCharm, WebStorm, etc. I think like there's even more flexibility in VS Code. Like for example, this app is is a React extension as opposed that it's quite relatively native in, in the JetBrains we're using. What I learned is that it's basically is almost like developing Android and iOS, where you want to have a lot of the best practices, where you have one backend and all the software development best practices with it like like one backend version v1 supports both to android and ios and not different backends because that that that's that's crazy and then you need all the methodology what what means that you move from one to 1.1 on the backend what supports what not if you know what i'm talking about if you developed in the past things like that so it's important and then it's like android and ios and and you relatively want it to be the same because you don't want one developer in the same team working with JetBrains and then the other VS Code and they're like talking, whoa, that's not what I'm seeing and with Codium. What are you talking about? And in the future, we're also going to have like Teams offering of collaboration. Right now, if you close Codium tab, it's everything is like lost, except of the test code, which you, you can like, if I go back to a test suite and do open as a file and now you have a test file with everything that you can just save but all like the the goodies here and there's a lot let's not go into it it's it's lost one day we're going to have like a platform you can save all that collaborate with people have it part of your pr like have suggestion part of your pr and then you want to have some alignment so one of the challenges like ux ui when you think about a feature it should some way or another fit for both platforms because you want i think by the way in ios and android sometimes i saw that you parody, care parody pa parody but here you talk about developers that might be in the same team so you, you do care a lot about that obviously this is a completely different way to work for developers i'm sure this is not everything you want to build and you have some hints so maybe take us through what you see the future of software development look cool. like that's great and also like related to our announcement what we're working on part of it you already start seeing in my in my demo before but now i'll put it into a framework it'll be clearer so i think like 
the software development world, then 2025 is going to look very different from 2020. Very different. By the way, I think 2020 is different from 2000. Mm-hmm. I liked web development in 95. So I, I needed to choose GeoCities and things like that. Today, it's much easier to build a web app and whatever one of the cloud. So, But I think 2025 is going to look very different than 2020 for the traditional coding. I'm going to show you like how I think the intelligent software development will look like, but I'm going to put it in the lens of coding AI. We are focused on code integrity. We care that with all this advancement of code generation, et cetera, we want to make sure that developers can code fast with confidence, that they have confidence on generated code and AI that are using that. That's our focus. I'm going to put, put that like lens when I'm going to explain. So I think like traditional development today works like, Creating some spec for different companies, different development teams could mean something else. It could be something on Figma, something on Google Docs, something on Jira. And then usually you jump directly to code, code implementation. And then if you have the time <laughs> or patience or will, you do some testing. And I think like some people would say that it's better to do TDD, like not everyone. Some would say like write spec, write your tests, make sure, sure they're green, that they do not pass, write your implementation until your test pass. Most people do not practice it. I think for just a few for a few reasons that I mentioned too. One, it's tedious. And I want to write my code like before I want my test. And I don't think, and the second is I think like we're missing tools to make it possible. And what we're advocating, what I'm going to explain is actually neither. Okay, it's very, I want to say it's very important. So here's how we think that the future of development pipeline or process is going to look like. I'm going to re- do it in steps. So first thing I think, there, to, I want to say that they're going to be coding assistants and coding agents. Assistant is like co-pilot, for example. And agents is something that you give it a goal or a task and actually chains a few tasks together to, to complete, complete your goal. Let's have that in mind. So I think like, What's happening right now, when you saw our demo, is what I presented a few minutes ago, is that you start with an implementation and we create spec for you and test for you. And that was like agent-like. You didn't converse with it. You just click a button and we did a, a chain of thought like to create these. That's why it's, it's an agent. And then we gave you an assistant to change tests. Like you can converse with it, et cetera. So that's like what we pre- what I presented today. What we're announcing is about a vision that we called the dry. Don't repeat yourself. I'm going to get to that when I'm, when I'm going to show you the entire vision. But first, I want to show you an intermediate step that what we're going to release. So right now, you can write your code or part of it. Like, for example, just a class abstract or so with a coding assistant, like Copilot. And maybe in the future, like a coding AI coding assistant. And then you can create a spec I already presented to you. And the next thing is that you're going to have like a spec assistant to, to generate technical spec, help fill it quickly, focused on that. And this is something that we're working on and, and going to release the first feature very soon as part of announcement. And it's going to be very lean. Okay, we're, we're a startup that going bottom up, like lean features going to more and more comprehensive one. And then once you have the spec and implementation, you can either from implementation have tests and then you can run the test and fix them like I presented to you. But you can also from spec create tests, okay, from the spec directly to tests. So then now you have a really interesting thing going on here is that you can start from spec, create tests, create code. You can start from tests, create code. You can start from implementation, from code, create spec and test. And actually, we think the future is a very flexible one. You don't need to choose. 
what you're practicing, traditional, TDD, or whatever you want to start with. If you have already some spec being created together with the one time in one sprint, you decided to write a spec because you wanted to align about it with your team, etc. Now you can go and create tests and implementation. Or you wanted to run ahead and write your code, creating tests and spec that aligns to it will be relatively easy. So what I'm talking about is extreme dry concept. Dry is don't repeat yourself. Until today, when we talked about dry, is like don't repeat your code. I claim that there is a big parts of the spec test and implementation that repeat themselves. But it's not a complete repetition because if spec was as detailed as the implementation, it's actually the implementation. But the spec is usually in different language, could be natural language and visual. And what we're aiming for, our vision, is enabling the dry concept to the extreme with all these three. You write your test will help you generate the code and the spec. You write your spec will help you doing the test and implementation. Now, the developers is the driver, okay? You'll have a lot of, like, what do you think about this? This is what you meant? Yes, no. You want to fix the code or test? Click yes or no. But you still be the driver, but there's going to be, like, extreme automation on the dry level. So that's what we're announcing that we're aiming for as our vision. And what we're providing these days in our product is the middle is what, what you see in the middle, which is our code integrity agents working for you right now in your ID, but soon also part of your GitHub actions, et cetera, helping you to align all these three. This is great. How do you reconcile the difference in languages? You know, a lot of times the specs is maybe like a PM or it's like somebody who's more at the product level. Some of the implementation details is backend developers for something, front-end yeah. for something. Yeah, how do you help translate the language between the two? And then I think in the one of the blog posts on your blog, you mentioned the, that this is also changing maybe how programming language themselves yeah. work. How do you see that change in the future? Like, are people going to start from English? Do you see a lot of them start from code and then it figures out the English for yeah. them? So first of all, I want to say that although we're working as we speak on managing with front-end frameworks and languages and usage, we are currently focused on the backend. So for example, as the spec, we won't let you input Figma, but don't be surprised if in 2024, <laughs> the input of the spec could be a Figma. Actually, you can see demos of that. Or like a of, pencil drawing yeah, on like, a piece of paper. Like, right, from OpenAI when he exposed the GPT-4. So we will have that. Actually, I had a, a blog, but also I related to two different blogs, one claiming a very knowledgeable and Respectful, a respectful person that says that English is going to be the new language, programming language, and, and programming is dead. And another very respectful person, I think equally, said that English is a horrible programming language. And actually, I think both of, are correct. That's why when I wrote the blog, I, I actually related. And this is what we're saying here. Nothing is really fully redundant. But what's annoying here <laughs> is that to align these three, you always need to work very hard. And that's where we want AI to help with. And if there is inconsistency, we'll raise a question, what do you, which one is true? And just click yes or no or test or, or, or code. Like that's what you can see in our product. And we'll fix the right one accordingly. So I think like English and, and visual language and code. And the test language, let's call it like, like that for a second, all of them are going to persist. And just that the level of automation aligning all three is what we're aiming for. You told me this before, so I, I'm, I'm just actually seeing Alessio's reaction to it as a first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, like you're absorbing. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, this is... I mean, uh, you know, you, you can put your VC hat on or like compare, like what, what is the most critical or unsolved question presented by this vision? 
a lot of these tools, especially we've seen a lot in the past, it's like the dynamic nature of a lot of this, you know, yeah. sometimes people don't have time to write the test. Sometimes people don't have time to write the spec. Yeah. So sometimes you end up with things out of sync, you know, yeah. or like the implementation is moving much faster than the spec. And you need some of these agents to make the call sometimes to be like, no, yeah, okay, the spec needs to change because clearly if you change the code this way, it needs to be like this in the future. I think my main question as a software developer myself, it's what is our role in the future? You know, <laughs> Like, well, how much should we intervene? Where should we intervene? I've been coding for like 15 years, but like if I've been coding for two years, where should I spend the next year? Focus on yeah. being better at understanding product and explaining it. Should I get better at syntax, you know, so that I can write code? We'll have any thoughts. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a difference between one, two, three years, three to six, six to 10 and 10 to 20. Let's for a second think about the idea that programming is solved. Then we're talking about a machine that can actually create any piece of code and start creating, like we're talking about the singularity, right? Mm -hmm. If the singularity happens, then we're talking about this new set of problems. Let's put that aside. Like even if it happens in 2041, that's my prediction. I'm not sure like you should aim for thinking what you need to do like or not when the singularity happens. So I, I would aim for mm -hmm. like thinking about the future of the next five years or so. That's my recommendation because it's so crazy anyway. Maybe not the best recommendation. Take that with a grain of salt. And, uh, please consult with a lawyer. At least in the scope of, of the next five years, the idea that the developers is the, um, the driver, it actually has like amazing team members <laughs> agents that working for him or her and eventually because he or she is a driver you need to understand especially what you're trying to achieve but also being able to review what you get the better you are in the lower level of programming in five years it, it means like real real program language then you will be able to develop more sophisticated software and you will work in companies that probably pay more for sophisticated software and the more that you're less skilled in, in the actual programming, you actually would be able to be the programmer of the new era, almost a creator. You still maybe look on the code levels, testing, etc. But what's important for you is being able to convert products, requirements, etc. to working with tools like Podium AI. So I think like there will be like degree of the different type of developers. Now, if you think about it for a second, I think like it's a natural evolution. It's it's true today as well. Like if you know really good the Linux or assembly, et cetera, you probably work like on LLVM, NVIDIA, whatever, like things like that, right? And okay, so I think it will be like the next next step. I'm talking about the next five years. Yeah, yeah. Again, 15 years, I think it's it's a new episode. If you would like to invite me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'll be, yeah. you'll be back. Yeah, it's a new episode that. about how how I think the world will look like when you really don't need a developer. And we will be there as Codium AI, like you can see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do we want to dive a little bit into AutoGPT? You mentioned you're part of the community. Yeah. Obviously, then try, catch, finally, repeat is also part of the yeah. company motto. So it actually really relates to what we're doing. And there's a reason we have like a strong relationship and connection with the AutoGPT community and us being part of it. So like you can see, we're talking about agent for a few months now. And we are building like a designated, a specific agent because we're trying to build like a product that works and gets the developer trust 
have developers trust us. We're talking about code integrity. <laughs> we need it to work. Like even if it went up 100%, it's not 100%, by the way, our product at all. The UX UI should speak the language of, oh, okay, we're not sure here. Please take the driving seat. You want this or that. But we really not need, even if, if we're not close to 100%, we still need to work really well. Just throwing a number 90%. And so we're building a like really designated agents, like those that from code create tests. So it could create tests, run them, fix them. It's a few tasks. So we really believe in that we're building a designated agent. While AutoGPT is like a swarm of agents, <laughs> general agents that were supposedly you can ask, please make me rich or make me rich by increase my net worth. Yeah, increase my net worth, etc. And now please be so smart and knowledgeable to use a lot of agents and the tools, et cetera, to make it work. So I think like for the auto GPT community it was less important to be very accurate at the beginning, rather to show the promise and start building a framework that aims directly <laughs> to the end game and start improving from there. Well, what we're doing is the other way around. We're building an agent that works and build from there towards the, the, the target of what I explained before. But because of this relate connection, although it's from different sides of the like the philosophy of how you need to build those things, we really love the general idea. So we caught it really early that with Torrent like building the the, the maker of, of AutoGPT. And immediately I, I started contributing. Guess what? What did I contribute at the beginning? Tests. Uh, right. So I started using Coding AI to build tests for AutoGPT, even even finding problems this way, etc. So I become like one of the let's say ten contributors, and then in the core team of the management, I talk very often with with Torin on on different aspects. And we're even going to have a workshop, a and, very small yeah, yeah, work, meeting a workshop, and we're going to compete together in a in a hackathons, and to show that AutoGPT is could be useful. While, for example, Codium is creating the test for it, etc. So I'm part of that community, whether my team are adding tests to it, whether like advising, whether like in, in the management team or whether to helping Toran really, really on small thing. He, he's the amazing leader, like visionaire and doing really well. What do you think is the future of open source development? You know, obviously <laughs> this is like a good example, right? You have Codium generating the test and... In the future, Codium could actually also implement the, what the tests want to do. So, like, yeah. how do you see that change? There's obviously not enough open source contributors, and yeah. that's one of the the main issues. Do you think these agents are maybe going to help us? Not yet. Balas, this great book called like Working in Public, and there's this type of project called Stadium Model, which is yeah, a lot of people use them, and like nobody wants to contribute to them. I'm curious about. Is it going to be a lot of noise added by a lot of these agents if we let them run on any repo yeah. that is open source? Like, what are the contributing guidelines for like humans versus agents? I don't have any of the answers, but like some of the questions that I've been thinking about. Okay, so I want to repeat your question and make sure I understand. You mean like, if there are agents, for example, dedicated for improving code, why can't we run them on, mm -hmm. run them on, on like a full repository and, and fixing that? The situation right now is that I don't think that. Right now, AutoGPT would be able to do that for you. Codium AI might, but it's not open source right now. And, and like you can see, like in months or two, you will be able to like running really quickly, like development velocity, like moving. Our motto is moving fast with confidence, by the way. So we try to like release like every day or so, three times even a day in the back end, et cetera. And 
We'll develop more feature enable you, for example, to run an entire repo store, but but it's not open source. So about the open source, I think like AutoGPT or Langchain, you can't really like ask Kivagol, please improve my repository, make it better. I don't think it will work right now because because let me like softly quote Ilya from from OpenAI. He said like right now, let's say that a certain LLM is ninety five percent accurate. Now you're you're concatenating the results. So the accuracy is one point, like it's, it's decaying. And what you need is like more engineering frameworks and work to be done there in order to be able to deal with inaccuracies, et cetera. And that's what we specialize in CodyMI. But I want to say that I'm not saying that AutoGPT would, won't be able to get there. Like the more tools and uh, that are going to be added, the more prompt engineering that is dedicated for this, this idea will be added. By the way, where I'm talking with Toran, that Corimei, for example, would be one of the agents mm. for AutoGPT. Like, think about it. AutoGPT is not is there for any goal. Make increase my net worth. So, not focused as us on fixing or improving code. We might be another agent. By the way, we might also be. We're working on it as a plugin for ChatGPT. We're actually almost finished with it. So that's like I think how it's going to be done. Again, open source or not, something we're thinking about. We wanted to be really good before we open source it. That was all very impressive. Your vision is actually very encouraging as well. And I'm very excited to try it out myself. I'm just curious on the Israel side of things, right? Like you're visiting San Francisco for a two-week trip for this special program you can tell us about. But also, I think a lot of American developers have heard that, you know, Israel has a really good tech scene. Mostly it's just security startups. You know, I did some, I was in some special unit in the IDF and like, <laughs> you know, I come out and like, I'm doing the same thing again, but like, you know, for enterprises, but maybe just something like describe for, for the rest of the world. It's like, what is the Israeli tech scene? Like, what is this program that you're on and what should people know? So I think like Israel is the most condensed startup per capita. <laughs> I think we're number one. Really? Or, or startup per square meter. I think, I think we're number one as well. Because of these properties, actually, there is a very strong community. And like everyone are around, like are working in a, an entrepreneur or working in a startup. And when you go to the bar or the coffee, you hear if it's 2021, people talking about secondary. <laughs> if it's 2023, talking about like how amazing Gen AI is. But everyone are like whatever are around you are like in, in the scene. And, and that's like a lot of networking and data propagation. I think somehow similar here to to the Bay Area and San Francisco, that it helps, right? So I think that's one of our strong points. You mentioned some others. I'm not saying that it doesn't help. Yes. <laughs> uh, being in the like, IDF, the army, that age of 19, you go and start dealing with technology, like very advanced one, that that helps a lot. And then going back to the community, there's this community like is all over the world. And for example, there is this program called ICON. It's basically Israelis in, in the Valley created a program for Israelis from, from Israel to come and it's called Silicon Valley 101 to learn what's going on here because with all the respect to the tech scene in Israel, here it's the, the real thing, right? So, so it's a non-profit organization by Israelis that moved here that brings you and, and then brings people from A16Z or, or Google or Navan or like amazing people from unicorns or or up and coming startup or accelerator and give you up to date talks and and also connects you to relevant people and that's that's why I'm here in addition to, to you know to meet and, and participate in this amazing podcast etc. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I think I think there's a lot of exciting tech talent, you know, in, in Tel Aviv, and I, I'm I'm glad that you're our first Israeli. <laughs> I, I think one of the things I wanted to say, like, yeah, of course, that because of what, what, what we said, security is, is a very strong scene, but actually, water purification, agriculture attack, there's a lot of other things. Like, usually, it's come from necessity. Yeah. Like we have big part of our company of our state is like a desert so there's there's other things like ai by the way is is big also in israel like for example i think there is an israeli competitor to open ai i'm not saying like it's as big but it's ai 21 i think out of 10 oh, yeah out of, yeah 21 is israeli yeah out of 10 oh. like most mm-hmm. profound yep. research labs uh, research yeah. labs yeah. for example i i love i love them yeah yeah I, I think we should try to talk to one of them but yeah when you and i met we connected a little bit. Singapore, you know, I was in the Singapore army, you were in the Israeli army. We do have a lot of connection between countries as small countries that don't have a lot of natural resources that have to make do in the world by figuring out some yeah. other services. Uh, I think the Singapore startup scene has not done as well as the Israeli startup scene. Uh, so I'm very interested in, in how small, con- small countries can have a world impact, essentially. It's a question we're being asked a lot. Like why, for example, let's go to the soft skills. I think like... Failing is a bad thing. Like, yeah. okay, like sometimes like VCs pr- prefer to put money on a, on an entrepreneur that failed in his first startup <laughs> and yeah. actually succeeded because now that person is knowledgeable what it means to be to fail and very hungry to to succeed. So I think like generally, like there's a few reasons I think. It's hard to put the finger exactly, but we talked about a few things. But one other thing I think like failing is not like this is my fourth company. I did one as it wasn't a startup, it was a company as a teenager. And then I had like my first startup, my second company that like had an amazing run, but then very beautiful collapse. And then like my third company, my second startup eventually exited successfully to, to Alibaba. So, so like, I think like it's, there, there are a lot of trial and error, which is being appreciated and not like suppressed. I guess like that's one of the reasons. Want to jump into lightning round? Yes. I think we sent you in the prep. But it's just three questions now. We've we've actually reduced it quite a bit, but you have it up. So. And we can read them that you can take time and answer. You don't have to do it right away. First question, what has already happened in AI that you thought would take much longer than it has? Okay, so I have to, <laughs> I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but I started coding AI BC. Before ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like going to like the VCs and VPRNDs, director, et cetera, and telling them, listen, we're going to help with code logic testing. And we're going to do that interactive conversation way. And they were like, no way. I even had like two saying, I won't let your silly AI get close to my code. That was BC. AC, it's really different. <laughs> and so like we kind of saw like it, like if you played with GPT-3, especially three and a half, whatever, like you felt working really well with instruction and conversation so having said that i think like still like OpenAI did amazing job like building the product like of course building the model but that's forgiven like they're the leaders but they did an amazing job building the product that's as accessible and i think that was maybe a bit surprising like i think like many tried to do a chatbot or so with these gpts but they since they're developing th- these models they probably felt and i think that's what happened that it's not being used correctly so i think like the fact that they built actually the product so well that was maybe surprising for me again i hope it doesn't sound too arrogant no. but I, no. I don't feel like there was a step function here we might reach a point but that's like as we said a different episode that inflection point and things were going to be really surprising 
when the agents take over. Exploration. So what do you think is the most interesting unsolved question in, in AI? Like what would you, re- what's an open question that you think, man, somebody should solve that? Okay, so here I am going to go to the yes. obvious answer that's AI alignment. Mm. Like it's it's a technical question, it's it's a philosophy question, etc. It's 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 not easy. Like it raises so many questions even about ourselves as as human. Are we like I saw one tweet by someone that I'm thinking about like for a few years. He wrote, Are we actually like LLMs? <laughs> like in essence. So so I think like we're trying to look into those LLMs for years. Like there, there was like in 2014, there was already in the CNN, there was a few works trying to visualize what, what are the, the feature detection, the feature, like what are the feature with the hidden layers that you see? Like we're trying to work on it for years lately, like a really long time ago, like five year, days ago or so, like we saw a work by OpenAI, like trying to turn, look on, on different parts of the LLM and trying to provide a natural language description for them. So I think like this is very important. Very interesting, tech-wise, philosophy-wise, etc. That's like I think needs to be explored more. And just one takeaway for all the listeners: like, what's one message you want everyone to remember about AI? I, I would say again, something might be a bit obvious, but I think right now what's happening is that we're actually true to this month <laughs> overestimating what Gen AI can do, overestimating but we're underestimating what it can do in the future, okay? So why am I saying that? Because if you're a builder, I really encourage you, speak less and do more. Play with it. Try it for specific use cases and see what's easy to do. And then if your purpose is just like incorporating stuff and that's what you want to do, and then do it. But don't like tell everyone you're going to do it before you do it because you might find that it's actually really hard. And there's a lot of problems. It works amazing. Like it wowed you for two examples, but then for eight other examples, it like works crappy. The other I want, if you're building, you want to build a startup, so find that case where you believe that you can think about a solution around LLMs or what it's going to be in, in one or two years because you want, to, what you want to try to predict that and what's the challenging around it. And do that through trying, trying, trying. Like, for example, if you're really excited about AutoGPT, Try to find five different cases that you, you managed to make it work for. Again, you might find you can't. I'm, I think that it's, it will do a lot. And I think it was good that somebody brought these frameworks and now we'll try to jump, we'll progress with the levels that I talked about before. So that, that's my like, really, like, if you think of idea first, try it. It's like easier than ever. Like there are so many, so many tools to, to try. Like, and that's one of the things that brought us to Codium, large language model as is do not work for verifying code logic, but we think there's, we see the path how to combine with other technical elements and how AI is going to evolve that we can actually bring to fruition this, this idea, this notion of the dry concept that I mentioned. Well, Itamar, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure.